0: As my dad said, my name is Wade Harris. Um, I grew up in this church. Um, obviously, I'm not around a whole lot anymore. I am, I'm living in Louisville. I'm going to Southern Seminary. Um, at the 830 service, he said I'm almost done, um, which is kind of a stretch. Um, I have like a year and a half left. Um, so I'm about halfway, but I've still got a, lot of way, a long way to go. Um, <clears throat> but it's been great. I'm enjoying every second of it. And I thank you guys for the opportunity to, um, to go and learn, but also to come back and, um, and share what God is doing and, um, in my life and also in the life of this church. Um, this is an incredible place to have grown up, and it's an incredible place to be right now. And uh, we're so glad that you're here. Um, if you're a guest, we're very glad you're here. Um, but yeah, so welcome. Um, I grew up in the church. I, Um, I was the kid who most of you changed uh, my diaper, obviously. Um, During business meetings, I was the kid playing hide-and-seek and and skipping out on business meetings. Um, A lot of times I would crawl down those stairs and hide in the baptistry, and none of you all had any idea, so (laughs) I think I did great. Um, But anyway, um, yeah, so today we're gonna be talking about spiritual disciplines. We're gonna be doing Um, a sermon series called CrossFit. Um, It's all about spiritual disciplines, um, and we're going to be covering that for the next couple weeks. Um, But I get the joy and the honor to be able to kick off the series um, just talking about a couple of spiritual disciplines. But before we get into the specifics, um, I wanted to just give you guys just a little bit of a background on spiritual spiritual disciplines and what they are and and why they're important. Um, Spiritual disciplines... Um, it's probably not a, fam- a familiar term for most of you. If it is, um, you might not exactly know like how deep it is, how, how much it means. Um, but we've all heard, like at church all the time, people telling you to read your Bible and pray. Um, and to do that outside of this church building um, during the week, more than just on Sunday mornings. And that's so important. That is such an essential part of, um, of the Christian life. And it's a basic, like it's a fundamental that you learn as soon as you become a Christian. But, um, but it goes so much further than that. And it's not something you ever grow out of. Um, but at the same time, spiritual disciplines, um, they go so much further than just reading your Bible and praying. Um, it's not any less than that, but it's so much more than that. And that's why we're talking about it. That's why we're going to spend a couple of weeks unpacking that and talking about the importance of it. Um, just a little bit of a working definition that we're going to kind of refer to throughout the next week, couple of weeks Um, Spiritual disciplines are biblical practices that, when done regularly, allow us to be with Jesus and become like Jesus, transforming us by the power and the beauty of the gospel. Um, I'm going to say that one more time because it's important and I want you guys to get that. Spiritual disciplines are biblical practices that, when done regularly, allow us to be with Jesus and to become like Jesus, transforming us by the power and the beauty of the gospel. Um, the first thing is spiritual disciplines are biblical practices. Um, they're not things that we've made up to, to give you something else to do on top of the list of things you already have to do. Um, there are things that we see laid out in Scripture, things that the Bible teaches us to do so that we can grow and so that we can become more and more like Christ. Um, and like I said, they're biblical. They're things that we should do because, um, because Jesus practiced them and showed us how to do them. Um, but they also have to be done regularly. Um, they have to be done with frequency enough so that they can really penetrate your heart and so that your heart can really change and be transformed by the gospel and by the Jesus who we serve and who we get to spend time with and who we want to be like. Um, and it's only by doing them regularly that that can be a reality. Um, but spiritual disciplines allow us to be with Jesus and to become like Jesus. Um, we all have friends, we all have family, um, we have spouses, kids, roommates, whoever, um, but if you've noticed, you spend time with people, and when you spend time with someone, you get to, to be more like them. You start to say things that they say, you start to do things they do, um, you kind of start to think the way they think, and the same thing happens when you spend time with Jesus. Um, and spiritual disciplines are one of, the, one of the primary ways that we do that, and that we spend time With him. And so, because we spend time with him, we get to be more like him. And it's something that we will never finish doing. It's something that always has to be done. And um, they transform us by the power and the beauty of the gospel. Um, It's not something that we do by our own strength. Um, Yeah, you're the one who opens up the Bible, but it is God who, God and his beautiful power and his gospel and the truth that comes with it that changes our hearts and makes us like Christ. Um, A lot of this is going to be very geared toward um, those of you who consider yourselves Christians. Um, This is kind of the way to deepen your faith, to take the next step and become um, more and more like Christ, to do more and more of what a Christian is called to do. Um, But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, um, first of all, I'm glad you're here and we're thankful that you are. But this is not just something that you can kind of coast through and check out and not pay attention to. Uh, My prayer is that, that this sermon and the sermons to follow in the next couple weeks will um, inspire you and spark your curiosity to figure out like, who is this Jesus? Why do we want to be with him and be like him? What does that mean? And I, my prayer is that this will give you a glimpse into what it means and what it looks like to be a Christian. Um, So with that said, um, a little bit of background information, um, let's dive into Scripture. Um, We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 today. Um, It's probably a story that most of you have heard or at least are familiar familiar with. Um, It's the temptation of Jesus. Um, So yeah, when you get there... um, while, while you're flipping there, let me point out on the top of your order of worship, there's a scripture, uh, a verse. It's 1 Timothy 4, 8, and um, it's, it's a really good one kind of while we're talking about and thinking about spiritual disciplines. Um, let me flip there real quick and I'll read it. But 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, um, they are really, really powerful and set up a really good um, building block as we think about spiritual disciplines. Um, you don't have to flip there. Just look at your bulletin if you have it. Um, but First Timothy 4, um, the last half of 7, it says, Rather, train yourself for godliness. And while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Um, that's, that's why we practice spiritual disciplines. Like, that's the purpose of it, is to make us like Christ, but to prepare us to be godly and to, to shape us into um, these little Christians who have um, just have their hearts tra- changed by the gospel. Um, but yeah, with that said, Matthew 4, um, verse 1. <clears throat> then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, For you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, for these moments and for the chance to sit in your presence this morning and to hear your word, and we just are grateful for the freedom to do that and the, the chance to do that. and. Um, In this moment, I pray that you will prepare our hearts to hear your word and prepare our ears to hear what you have to tell us, God, and what you have to teach us. And I pray that when we leave this place, that your word and your gospel will transform our hearts to make us like Jesus. Um, Speak through me and may your words um, be present here and may they be powerful. God, we love you and we ask this in your name. Amen. Um, Yeah, so like I said, this is probably not a super unfamiliar text. Um, Many of us have heard the story of Jesus fasting for 40 days. I mean, it's a pretty big deal, so it's hard to miss. Um, But I want to give you a little bit of context before we get into chapter 4. Right before that, there's like a paragraph. um, There should be a heading in your Bible called the baptism of Jesus. Um, So just a little bit of a little paraphrasing. Um, Jesus comes down from Galilee, he walks down to the Jordan River, um, and he sees his cousin John, John the Baptist, in the river, baptizing these Jews. So in this time, the, the Jews were preparing for a Messiah. They were waiting for God to send his Holy One, his chosen one, to come down and save them, and save them from their sins. And so they would come to the river, John the Baptist would cleanse them in preparation for this Messiah who's supposed to come um, so Jesus walks down. Jesus is the Messiah, if you um, don't know that. Jesus is the Son of God. He's fully human, but he's also fully God. So he is the Son of God sent down to save us and to wash us of our sins. Um, he's perfect. He's sinless. But he says, hey, John, I, I want you to baptize me. And John says, um, no, I need to be baptized, to you, baptized by you. Why do you come to me? And Jesus says, let it be so now It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus basically says, this is what I've been sent to do. I'm going to be obedient. Um, Just like you have to be washed by your sins, I'm going to be washed as well. Um, Though he's not being washed of his sins. Um, But this river, so like this isn't like a nice... um, chlorine full pool. Like this is a river. People are probably bathing in it. People are swimming in it. They're sending their kids down to the river to like wash their clothes. Um, so this is a disgusting river. Like this river is going to be, um, very just gross, lots of germs. Um, but metaphorically, so like baptism, they would do this to wash their sins away. Um, so it's a spiritual metaphorical washing, cleansing of their sins. But the Jews at this time, um, the people who are going to the river to be baptized, they would understand that this water holds the sins. Like they would believe that this water holds the filth and the sins of their sinful, um, their sinful bodies. And Jesus comes down and gets in this water. He gets in this filthy water, this literally and spiritually fil- like filthy water. And um, is baptized, submerged, totally washed over by this gross water. um, Not to wash his sins away, but to prepare to fulfill the purpose that he's been sent to do, which is to wash our sins away. Um, And he, so it says in verse 16, he comes up from the water. And immediately he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So in this moment, we have the son of God coming out of the water and then the spirit of God coming down to meet him and to fill him. And at that same moment, a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So think about that in this very moment, we have all three persons of the Godhead, the whole Trinity in one place at the same time. And, and they're pleased. This is a good thing. Something is amazing is about to happen. Um, But then, in verse 1, it says, then Jesus was led up up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So um, this this story, the temptation of Jesus, takes place in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Luke. So um, there are three accounts of the same story. um, But in Mark, there's only two verses, which I think is really interesting that it condenses these 11 verses into two. But... Um, Mark says that immediately, I know that my version of Matthew doesn't say immediately, but the version of Mark does. So it says, immediately Jesus went by the Spirit up to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Which, I think that's fascinating, first of all. um, That it's immediate. So like Jesus Comes up out of the water. Usually, we have like this big celebration when someone gets baptized. We celebrate. We like are happy. It's great. Um, Then you go home and you like take a nap after church. Like that's what we do after you get baptized. But in this moment, Jesus is baptized, gets up out of the water, and immediately is led to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Um, Just think about think about that sentence. Jesus, the Son of God, was led. By the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Um, I want to point out two things before we move on from this verse. The first is the word wilderness. Um, So, Matthew, the author of this book, this gospel account, he was writing to the the primary audience, was going to be Jewish people. So, um, so this is directed towards people who were familiar with the Old Testament, familiar with the, the ancestry of their people. And um, if we look in the book of Exodus, we're not going to flip there. Uh, I'll just give you a brief summary. But the, the Israelites, so God's chosen people, are enslaved in Egypt. So they're literally slaves. God's chosen people, like, which doesn't make sense. Like, how could God choose his people and make them great and then also have them enslaved? Um, but... He promised to take them out of slavery and take them to the promised land, which is this place that's just amazing. It's flowing with milk and honey, and it's a place that they want to be. It's a place they need to be, and God has prepared for them. But before they, they they leave slavery, they're freed from slavery, but before they get to the promised land, they spend 40 years in the wilderness. And that word can also be translated to mean desert, so if, if you're reading this and, like, you're picturing it, which I encourage you to do, um, you might be picturing, like, a jungle, by the word wilderness, but if you want to picture a desert, that's also appropriate. Um, the point is, the wilderness is a place where people are alone, and they're scared, and they're hungry, and they're pressed, and they're suffering, and they're in pain, and it's, it's not a pleasant place to be. Um, but Jesus is led to this place, to the wilderness, Um, to be tempted by the devil. Um, And the second thing I want to point out is that he was led by the Spirit, Um, which is kind of weird. I can't fully explain the theology behind that, but Jesus, who is the Son of God, he's fully God, is led by the Holy Spirit. So he's led by God (laughs) to the wilderness. And I think that's really interesting. If I were Jesus, and I would assume Jesus would feel the same way, but he probably would not want to go to the wilderness. He probably would not want to go there alone, be pressed, be hungry. But, um, but the Spirit leads him, and he goes. He's obedient to follow the Spirit's leading. Um, and I think that's amazing, because a lot of times in my life, and I'm sure in your life, you end up in places you might not want to be. You go places where you're feeling lonely, and you're feeling depressed, and you're, um, you don't know what to do. You don't know what's next. But the Spirit leads him there. And I think that's important because Jesus has to go where he knows the people he's going to save are going to be. And so that's us. Like, we are in these places sometimes. You not, might not physically be stranded in a desert. Um, we have iPhones now so you can get out of the desert if you needed to. But, um, but like, we get in places where we feel like this. We feel lonely. We feel um, worried, scared, depressed. Um, and that's just part of life. But Jesus goes there. Um, to prepare for what God has called him to do. So um, verse two, and after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but um, hungry might be a little bit of an understatement after 40 days and 40 nights. Um, I can't imagine that. I really cannot imagine going that long without food. Um, I didn't eat breakfast this morning and I'm regretting it. So I, I can't imagine going 40 days without food, uh, 40 days without eating breakfast. But um, but Jesus does that. There's a purpose for that. Um, and then verse three <clears throat> says, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, that's, Incredible to me. So Jesus, like we said, he's hungry. It's been 40 days since he's had anything to eat. And um, the tempter, which is also interesting, that that is the devil. Like the devil is literally face to face with Jesus in this moment. Um, And I cannot imagine temptation to that degree. I mean, like Jesus, he's fully God, fully human. He was sinless. So he did not have a corrupt, sinful nature to tempt him from within, so he didn't have a voice in his head saying, "Hey, you're hungry. You should eat. Um, turn these stones to bread." He didn't have like this, like I don't know, this desire to to like go and sin. But um, but the devil comes face to face with Jesus and says, "If you're hungry, why don't you just turn these stones to bread? I know you can do it." Um, but Jesus knows that this is more than food. Um, I've been Watching Survivor a lot lately. Um, I don't. I don't know if you guys have watched it. Um, I grew up watching it, but then I took a long break when I didn't have cable in college and didn't have time to uh, to watch TV. Um, But then I recently discovered that there are like 30 seasons of Survivor on Hulu, and I (laughs) have been binge watching it. um, Which is yeah, which is probably not the, the wisest thing while I'm trying to get a master's degree, but. You know, um, it's whatever. But anyway, so I've been watching Survivor, and um, if you are familiar with this show, you'll know what I'm talking about. If not, I'll kind of give you a little bit of background. But in Survivor, they take 20-so castaways, and they take them to a desert island. There's nothing there, no food. Um, they give them, like, a pound of rice to eat for a whole month, and then, like, they're left to, like, fish and eat bugs. So, like, they're probably hungry. Like, they're starving. Um, but the whole point is, like, they're trying to win a million dollars. So the person who lasts the longest wins a million dollars. And so throughout this this whole, I guess, this whole month on the island, They have the chance to vote each other off the island. And if you get voted off, you no longer have a chance at winning a million dollars. So you want to stay in as long as you can. But um, every now and then, I guess every episode, they have what they call an immunity challenge. And if you win the immunity challenge, you get immunity at that tribal council. So you cannot be voted off. So you want immunity at tribal council so you have a chance to win a million dollars. Um, but usually, the immunity challenges are like really endurance based. You have to be able to hold on to a pole or like keep your whole body with just your face out of the water um, like it 's really weird but um, so like I was watching an episode the other day. they were hanging from these poles like ten feet above the ground, and they 're just wrapped around a pole, trying to hang on for dear life um, and i, mean, I can 't do that if I am not starving, so i don 't know how they 're doing it but Um, They're hanging on. Like, these things last hours, like just hanging on to a pole. But every now and then, Jeff Probst, the survivor host, will come out, and he'll have, like, a plate of donuts or a plate with a burger or, like, a whole pizza. And he'll say, if any of you wants to give up your shot at immunity, you can come have this plate of food right now. And inevitably, every time, someone gets down and goes and eats that food. And on the one hand, I'm thinking... Man, you're starving. That pizza looks so good. Like, why would you not give that up? But then I think about it again. And I'm like, man, they just gave up the shot at winning a million dollars. Like, they could potentially go home tonight. Um, and that's kind of the scenario I picture in, in this story, which might not be, like, super biblical, but, you know, um, whatever works. <clears throat> but it, um, So Jesus is, he's starving. Like, he's starving. And, and Satan says, hey, if you're hungry, why don't you turn these stones into bread. But Jesus knows that this is far deeper than just fulfilling this hunger. Um, If Jesus were to give into this temptation and to turn these stones to bread, he would be relieving his suffering by his own power. And if you look a few chapters later in Matthew, you'll see that Jesus ends up suffering far more than going 40 days without food. He is beaten and bruised and killed on a cross and like it's bloody and it's gross and it's painful, but he does that for us. He does that so that we can have the chance to have eternal life and eternal glory with him. And he knows that if he chooses to relieve his suffering by his own power in his own way, and in this specific time that he will not be obedient to what God has called him to do. He's not going to be able to endure the suffering that he's going to face later on. And he does that for us. And so that temptation is just so, it's probably so appealing, but he knows that if he gives up that that hunger and fulfills that hunger in this moment, that it's going to be so hard to give up even greater suffering in the future. Um, and so we'll go on to the chapter to verse five. Um, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands. They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Um, so there's three temptations in this story. This is the second. Um, I have to admit, I've always thought it was kind of a silly temptation Um, Like, why in the world would Jesus think, yeah, I'll jump off this building. That'd be cool. Um, Like, it would be cool. Like, Jesus could jump off this building and the angels would come save him because he can call them to. He has the power and the authority to summon angels to come protect him and to set him down on solid ground gracefully and peacefully and safely. Um, But just like the one with the food, like, this goes so much deeper than just having a cool story to tell your friends later on. Like, this is Jesus' temptation to to reveal himself as the Son of God. And if he jumps off this building and reveals himself as the Son of God in this way, he's doing it in a self-serving spectacle. And that's not the way God intended Jesus to reveal himself as the Son of God. Um, I had a professor recently in one of my classes, we were talking about um, the book of Mark, and um, just about how Jesus as the Messiah was supposed to come and how he was supposed to be revealed. And so the Israelites knew that there was a Messiah coming. Um, That's why they were going to the river to be baptized, to have their sins washed away. They knew he was coming, um, but they expected Jesus to come and um, save them and just like rescue them. Um, But Jesus had to wait until he got to a certain place and at a certain time for the revelation to come into full existence. Um, which is why you see in the New Testament, whenever Jesus heals a blind person or heals a leper, um, they, he'll usually tell them not to tell anybody. And my professor said that he would never be invited to an evangelism conference. Jesus wouldn't. Um, which is probably true, um, honestly, um, today. But the reason he did that is because there was a messianic secret um, that was associated with the coming of Christ. So he had to go to the right place at the right time to fulfill the the calling that the Lord had called him to do. Um, and if he were to jump off this building and save himself, he would be doing that to reveal himself as the son of God by his own power, by his own desire, and by his own searching for, like, self gratification for glory that only he could get in that way. And that's not the way that the Messiah was supposed to be revealed. Um, let's go on. Um, verse eight. It says Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written you shall worship the Lord, your God and serve him only. Um, This is kind of along the same lines, like the Jewish people knew there was a Messiah coming. They knew that he was supposed to come save them, but they expected him to come and save them, but destroy their enemies. So they were expecting all of the kingdoms, all the nations surrounding Israel to be wiped out, to be killed so that the Israelites could be made great. Um, and Satan knew that. Satan knew that the Jewish people expected that. So that's why he's saying, Hey, Jesus, like you are, promise Israel if you go through with God's plan, but I can give you all these nations if you, if you just worship me. But Jesus knew that the plan was far greater than even um, the Jewish people knew. He knew that the plan was to save all the nations. The plan was to come for all people. And so... Jesus was able to trust that the eternal glory promised by God through the fulfillment of His saving power on the cross is greater than any earthly glory he could get from a kingdom or um, or any like fame in this in this life. Um, and he was able to hold on to that faith and that trust when he faced this temptation. Um, and I think it's interesting that he always, Jesus always replies to these temptations with Scripture. He knows Scripture. Um, He's prepared his whole life for this. Um, He grew up in church. At this point, he's probably about 30 years old. So he's gone 30 years, never healed a blind person, never uh, healed a leper. Like at this point, he's just Joseph's carpenter son. No one really thinks he's that big of a deal. Um, And he's, I mean, for all earthly standards, he's not. Like he's just kind of a nobody from, um, from the sticks who helps his dad build houses. And, um, I don't know. I just think these temptations would be really hard to pass up if you want to be great, but don't know when that's going to happen. And Jesus has to trust that the Lord has a better plan than Satan's lies are telling him. But how does all of this pertain to spiritual disciplines? Um, Obviously, Jesus is facing sin, and we face sin, so like, there's a little bit of a parallel there. But Jesus isn't, isn't doing this so we can have a good example of how to face sin. He's doing this because he's actually facing sin for us. And I think that's so powerful. It's like the whole truth of the gospel. Um, and if we're going to follow his example, we have to learn to be with him and grow to be like him. And spiritual disciplines are how we do that. Um, today, I just want to like touch on a couple out of this passage that are, that Jesus exemplifies, um, and that's silence, solitude, and fasting. Um, so three disciplines. Um, you can, I usually combine silence and solitude into one because they just complement each other really well. But silence, solitude, and fasting. Um, let's look at... Verse 1 of chapter 4, um, Jesus was led into the wilderness. So Jesus goes to the wilderness. He's alone. Um, he doesn't have his headphones in, so he's not listening to anything. Um, he is just out in the wilderness by himself, alone. He's quiet. He's not with anyone else. Um, and he's doing that for the sole purpose of being with, with God the Father, being with the Lord. Um, even though he's Jesus, he's fully God, he knows that in order to... Um, to be faithful to what God has called him to do, he has to keep his relationship with God a priority. And that's why he goes to the wilderness to be alone. That's why the Spirit leads him there. Um, but, <clears throat> um, but yeah, it's just a really good way to, to just kind of refocus your mind on, on God and on your relationship with him. Um, silence and solitude often is going to be done um, away from like your technology, your phone. I know silence and solitude, especially silence. I think that's a really challenging thing for us today. I think it's really hard to turn off your phone, turn off your music, turn off your TV, and just sit in the presence of Jesus. Um, but it's such an important thing to do. It's such a powerful way of refocusing your life on on Christ, on His face, and on um, being in um, in relationship with Him, and silence and solitude are very powerful tools to do that because you are able to get away from people. You're able to turn off your phone, open God's Word, and just see what He has to t- to tell you that day. Um, I would recommend doing this regularly. Um, some of you might be really scared of that. You don't want to go be a, like be alone. That sounds like a nightmare to you. Others of you probably think, man, I will go away from everyone for as long as you need me to. Um, <clears throat> but, like, it's, there's purpose behind this. You're not just getting away from people. You're not getting away from your family or your friends or your roommates. Um, you're getting away for the purpose of getting with Jesus. And that's just such a powerful, um, powerful way to grow and to, to get to know him. Um, but the other thing that Jesus does is he fasts. He Um, He spends time not eating food for 40 days. Um, I know you're probably a little nervous. I'm not asking you to go 40 days without food. Um, I don't even know if that's like, if that's, I don't know, I would be miserable. Um, But anyway, fasting is a little more clear cut as it's laid out in scripture. Um, Typically, um, it's the practice of giving up food for the purpose of of spending time with the Lord, of feeding yourself with the word that comes from the mouth of God, um, which is scripture. Scripture. Um, it's the purpose of giving up something that is necessary for survival or something that um, is very luxurious but you've become really kind of too focused on. Um, it's the practice of giving up those things so that you can focus on Jesus and so you can reorient your life around um, around God's Word and around a relationship with Him. Um, and I think that these things must be done regularly. I'm not saying don't eat every single day, but like fasting, you can do that. You can give up a, skip lunch once a week or um, give up your phone for a week or um, give up a whole day of food once a month. Something like that. Just something really simple. Um, but the purpose isn't just to give up food and look holy and tell all your friends, like, oh yeah, I'm giving up food. I'm so holy. Um, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose is so that you can feel your stomach growl and you can be reminded that okay, I'm going to go open my Bible right now instead of going and reaching for the fridge. Um, same thing with your phone. If you feel yourself reaching for Instagram or for Twitter, like, open up your Bible instead and just spend time with him. Um, and It's just the practice of being disciplined. Just like an athlete disciplines their body, you are disciplining your soul so that you can be like Christ. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's just amazing. I mean, Philippians... Chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, it's basically the gospel. It's saying that Christ gave up his, his lofty position as God to humble himself and become like man so that he can save us. That's the gospel. That's, like, that's the whole purpose of what we're doing and why, we're, why we practice ritual disciplines, why we read our Bible every day, why we pray. Um, it's just so we can be more like him um, who, who has done so much for us already. Um, But there's something I want to point out in closing. And that's the fact that the devil devil knows scripture as well. Um, If you look in in verse 6, the second temptation, the devil literally quotes scripture to Jesus to try to tempt him to do it. Um, So you can do all these spiritual disciplines. You can read your Bible, you can pray, and you can do it with the wrong heart. You can do it for the wrong reasons and you'll benefit nothing from it. You can just pretty much waste your time doing it. Um, the purpose of spiritual disciplines is to do it with a heart that is seeking after Christ and seeking after um, a life of holiness and a life of godliness. Um, it's training yourself for the purpose of godliness. It's um, done for the, the sake of seeking after Christ above all else. Um, that's, why, that's why we're doing it. That's why, um, that's why it's such an important thing. That's why Jesus does it, because he knows that you have to depend on the Lord more than you depend on the things you have or the situations you're in or the comfort of food or um, the comfort of people or power or glory. Um, You need nothing more than you need Christ and more than you need the gospel. And that's what spiritual disciplines are for. They are done regularly so that we can be with Jesus and so that we can become like Jesus and be transformed by the power and the beauty of the gospel. (laughs) Let's pray. God, we thank you um, for who you are. And we thank you that you are holy and perfect and blameless and that you did what we could not do. God, you lived a life um, free of sin so that we could be made righteous by your grace and by your power and by, um, by the gospel, by your cross, God. Um, I pray that we will not... Um, take that for granted, but we will um, know your word and we will grow in wisdom and knowledge of who you are and of your of the things you've told us, God. And may we be obedient and faithful to do um, what you've told us to do. And may we um, just leave this place encouraged and may we just seek your face above all else and know that you are the only thing we need. You're the only... Um, reason for who we are and for what we're doing. God, um, help us to train for the purpose of godliness and be made like Jesus in the way we do that. God, we love you, and we ask all this in your name. Amen.